What is going on, everybody? My name is Eric, and you are listening to another exciting episode of the Unlockables podcast. I'd like to thank you, as always, for tuning in wherever, whenever, in time and space you might be located. But uh, enough about that. I'm not going to spiel on my normal droning intro because I have a very exciting guest on today. You might know him from certain things such as how the fuck did this game make it this far? And the man that screams Dick Dragon at the beginning of every single episode. It is my good friend Chris Copleen from the Retro Hangover podcast. Chris, how are you doing today, man? It's it's going great. What do you mean? How the fuck did this game make it this far? Are we talking about The Sims? We're absolutely talking about The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> Every conversation I have with you about that, or every, I think every episode I listen to is just like, how does this game keep on going? Which is uh, something we'll touch on, but sure, yeah, that was quite quite an adventure for for anybody that listened. But uh, before we dive into all that, yeah, yeah, it it was great to listen to. Um, But before we get dive into that, Chris, I always ask people when they come on uh, what you've been playing, and I'm excited to hear this because you play stuff that I've never even heard of. So. I, I think this might be this might be an exception this time. But uh, first of all, thank you for having me on, man. I've been really looking forward to being on this show. So awesome. I am very pleased to be on here with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. But in terms of what I've been playing, been playing a, a, a niche game, like you said, I play the niche game called Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. Ah, I, I don't think anyone has heard of that. <laughs> Definitely um, not. <laughs> no, especially RPG fans. That is, this is a game. <laughs> That you might want to check out. I know it's a hidden gem, but Final <laughs> Fantasy VI is well worth your time, especially the Pixel Remaster. No, I, I, I'm obviously being facetious here. I got the Pixel Remaster pack, I think, back when it, they first came out. I think I preloaded all of them after, I think, one of the episodes. I don't remember if it was on a stream or an episode. I'm like, who the fuck would buy all these games all at once? <laughs> like, I have no idea who'd do that. Because someone we know who did that. And then I immediately <laughs> did it myself. It's like, I got it. They're on a discount. I got to get them because I know I'm going to want to play them. So I did. It's like, I've so, become that guy. That person's me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is, is unusual for me because usually I buy a game and wait 10 years to play it. So right. I'm glad I'm getting to a game relatively soon after release, even if it's a no, 28-year-old video game. I'm... I'm there for it because I, I, I mean, I do. I do love Final Fantasy six, but I will say I've played all the Final Fantasy pixel remasters up to this point so far, except for five. I'm saving the I'm saving five for the four job Fiesta, which Ooh, I okay. think starts next month. Ooh, and that's exciting. that's a real fun time. Have you heard of it? Four job Fiesta. I have not, but it sounds exciting and it sounds very Cinco de Mayo, which, which just happens to be the day we're recording on. So, <laughs> yes, that was not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> But um, first of all, are you a fan of Final Fantasy, the series? I know uh, you're a Kingdom Hearts guy. Yeah, so I am. Um, I played like I really got into like all the PS1 era ones. That's kind of where I jumped in. And I've pretty much played every one since. Uh, I haven't had the chance to go back to anything later than seven. So I saw the Pixel remaster like getting ready to come out. And I was like, that's awesome. But I seem to remember when it came out, it was only available on like PC and mobile. I think still is still. is. Yeah. So, like, I'm kind of just hoping and hanging on to the hope that they bring it to the Switch because that's how I'd like to play it. I think that'd be the best way since I'm very mobile. So yeah. uh, that's kind of what I'm waiting for. Uh, but I know six by reputation and I am embarrassed that it's missing from my my RPG catalog. So in terms of you've never played it or just your catalog? I've never played it and my catalog in general. So no way. yeah, yeah, it's it's a shame because I hear such great things about it. So I have a lot of well, gaming yeah. since Chris. It's it's very shameful. <laughs> uh, we all have those games that 
we haven't played. I'm sure that there's one that someone would be like, yeah, everyone's played that game. And I'd be like, yeah, I, yeah. no, not me. So uh, did, do you think, uh, I can ask you about it because I actually haven't talked to anybody that's played it. Do you think, and I, you've played all the originals on the original consoles, right? Before this? For the most part, yeah. I mean, okay. I haven't played uh, a lot of the original, 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 like two and three. I mean, they okay. didn't come over here, but I, I tried and it was just, it was rough then, it's rough now, so. Right. So do you do you think in your experience, did they do a good job with the Pixel remaster, making everything kind of kosher for for the modern age, quote unquote? Uh, I'll, I'll try to be brief because I I'm, I look forward to making uh, an episode for the podcast. Oh, OK. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder. No, no, obviously. Not, <laughs> not mainstream, like for the patrons. Like, but I can give a, a brief summary here is that. All in all, if you've never played them before, I think you're going to enjoy them. But if you have played any version of the older games, and I say like the older games, I can tell you like Final Fantasy one through four. If you've played any of the older ones and you enjoyed them, you are going to have a lot of mixed feelings about the pixel remasters. Interesting. Especially one, especially one, because it is it's a cakewalk It is just it's mindless. It's one of the easiest experiences I've had with a video game ever. And one of the good things about Final Fantasy VI is I'm not getting those same vibes. There are times where I'm like, okay, Sabin's a little OP. Sabin's the monk who can do blitzes. Right. And they essentially hold your hand through these things because you did Street Fighter inputs in the original Super Nintendo game. And this one, they put the input on top of the screen for the button inputs you need to do. You didn't get a prompt or anything like that in the original. If you screw up, you just have to start from the beginning. So it's there are some things that make it easier, but overall, I think the difficulty balance is a lot better in six than what you're getting with one through three, especially four. Four is one of the easiest versions of Final Fantasy four, even easier in Final Fantasy two here in the States, mm-hmm. which is the easier version of the one that was released in Japan. So if you are in love with these older games, the the older ones, one through four, you're, there's going to be some hard pills to swallow in terms of difficulty because you're just going to be used to the old ones. That's good to know. I think it'd be I think I definitely want to pick it up just to experience uh the original era of final fantasy because i'm not sure maybe you have more insight into this these games seem like they would be difficult to come by in their original state as probably a lot of games are nowadays especially after the covid boom and collecting has just gone crazy so it seems like this would probably be the optimal way to if you want to go and experience them to be able to experience them i mean going to a rom site's not that difficult but uh I always forgot about the uh, morally gray area of emulation. That's true. So <laughs> it's I try not, not morally to... gray because they're not releasing the original ones. So <laughs> that, I really that's don't true. Care. That's true. Fuck you, Nintendo. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. Uh, so you've been playing anything else or just pretty much that? Uh, I've also been playing Threads of Fate. I've been doing that for an episode with uh, our friends over at the Good, Bad, and the Backlog. Oh, cool. Uh, they're, he's uh, Adam is the host there, and he, he's going to be making an episode. So I've been playing Threads of Fate alongside that, and... Uh, yeah ironically enough it's another square enix game and i have mixed feelings about that game too it's 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 an action rpg it was released in 2000 and it's an original playstation game and back then i don't think action rpgs particularly 3d ones especially 3d ones i should say hadn't really come into their own yet i don't think especially fully 3d ones they were still finding a way over that hump Mm-hmm. I think they I think they got way better in PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, you know, Xbox 360, that era. They got exponentially better, but then it was still a little awkward. Mm-hmm. So the gameplay isn't quite all there. It doesn't know if it wants to be controlled with uh, the analog stick or the digital pad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really sensitive 
like slippery and floaty and imprecise, but it has a lot of charm. Uh, I still wouldn't recommend playing it, though. So I guess I spilled <laughs> the episode there for you, Adam. I'm sorry, but I'll I'll go into more why when I talk to you. How about that? Hey, uh, but by the way, uh, that's a great show, too. I love Adam. I'm friends with him. He's a great guy. So uh, that'll be an exciting episode to hear. And uh, all you guys together is sure to bring the hilarity. So um, that's very cool. Uh, myself, just to touch quickly, I'm still plowing through uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I'm actually playing that for an episode that I'm going to be on in June with somebody. Not to spoil that, but uh, I'm just trying to finish that off. And man, th that's a great game. It's fun. It's f the music's great. The combat's great. It's easier than prior Fire Emblems that have come before. I don't know if you have any experience with the franchise as a whole. Zero. Zero. Okay. Well, um, slightly more than zero, but okay. pretty much zero. Yeah. So when it came to the states on the GBA, it was it was really good pacing, storytelling, combat difficulty. I felt all those things were really, really balanced. And now it's kind of evolved into this like half combat tactics, half Japanese life simulator game where and, and it definitely. Yes. Yeah, it definitely. Yes. You definitely see a lot more of those eastern japanese influences on it and this one in particular because your roles is like as a professor and you're teaching students but you can like form relationships with the students and invite them to tea after class and ask them questions that are like borderline hey you probably shouldn't be talking to your students this way i don't know it's it's a little That's strange Japan. yeah it is it is but i mean it's it's got a lot of heart and um yeah it's a great franchise if you if i highly recommend looking into it if you enjoy kind of tactics and stuff like that for sure um, and if you ever want to do an episode on a retro hangover, I'll come on. I, I know a little bit about Fire Emblem, so <laughs> not to shill myself to try and come on your show on my show, but I apologize. <laughs> uh, you know, you're always invited. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was on the Crash Bandicoot episode. Shout out. If yeah. you haven't listened to that, um, go check that out because not because I'm on there, but just because Chris and Shane are always awesome. Um, Thank you. But yeah, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much all I've been playing. Uh, and then I'm going to dive into some other stuff that I'm going to be playing on shows later in June. So uh, yeah, if you, you have anything else you want to say or should we? plow forward no i mean let's go let's go forward man talk a little bit about uh the show retro hangover and if you'll permit me i think i might have told this story on your show but i just want to tell it again about like literally the first time i ever listened to your show so yeah. i kind of got into like the kind of podcasting community that we all interact with uh because of keith and like i came across your guys' show and i was like driving to work i'm like oh let me check these guys out i'll turn it on and like in the first five minutes i heard you do your infamous dick dragon scream that like blows out your speakers and i listened to that for about like five like six seconds i'm like how long is this kind of guy gonna go and i turned it off immediately and i'm like ah, i can't do this <laughs> I, I literally <laughs> i literally cannot do this and but for whatever reason like through the week it stuck with me and i was just like yo there's this show where this like guy scream is just screaming at the start and so i came back to it and listened to it and i'm really glad i did because it's it's turned out to be like one of my favorite shows it's my weekly rotation now but uh 
at first, man, I was just so, <laughs> the intro was so intense. I was just like, I can't do this. I'm not ready for it. I just started podcasting. So I was just like, I'm not ready for this level of podcasting yet. So <laughs> um, yeah, it was fantastic. But uh, with that being said, Chris, you host Retro Hangover. So I was just wondering mm-hmm. if you could tell me a little bit about how this show came to happen. I mean, you coast it with your friend Shane. Um, mm-hmm. Where did that epic origin start? And also, if you could just give me a little bit of a history on the Dick Dragon Scream, I'm curious to hear about that as well. Absolutely. So <laughs> before I really get into that, I'm, I think that's funny because Shane was recently on an episode with uh, Retrospectives and they were talking Diablo 2 and in the intro, they're they saying the same thing you did as they listened <laughs> to the intro where I shouted, you know, Dick Dragon. And they were like, oh, this is trash. I, I can't <laughs> listen to this. Uh, and it, it's funny because um, we, we wanted to back off it for a bit because there was a comment on our, on our YouTube stream where we put up our episodes. And it said, I'm trying to go to sleep. The, when the episodes roll over, you wake, us, you wake me up. So, <laughs> I mean, could you please stop screaming? And we're like, you know what? We don't know if people like the screaming. So... We toned it down for a few episodes, and then the community was like, why aren't, why aren't you screaming anymore? <laughs> like, we said we didn't miss it, but now we, we, we really do. Like, it's part of your identity, and you can't <laughs> let your identity go. So you got to bring back the dick dragon. Yes. So we did. And so, you know, who knows how many listeners were missing out on because of my obnoxious screaming into the microphone. But definitely that one guy who sleeps because, uh, but you yeah, know. he's probably not listening to us anymore. But maybe you shouldn't you, listen to podcasts while you sleep, bro. Just, just saying. <laughs> we're not an ASMR. We don't even pretend <laughs> to be. It's, it's fine. Shane has dulcet tones for his voice. I, I don't know where I rate on that scale, but I know Shane does. And I, so I can understand how he can put you to sleep. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. Well, Unless you want to take it that way, then fuck you. But Shane, <laughs> so if you want to sleep to us, you know, I, whatever do, you, does you, but um, I, I will continue to scream. It's not going to stop. Our listeners and our patrons and our community loves it. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's about that part. Now, to the show's origins. Back in 2014, there was a a show we went to, I don't want to call it a show, an event, kind of like a party, just, it was like a, I want to call it a weekly thing, maybe a monthly thing. It was called Arcade Jacks, and it was in downtown Jacksonville, and it was a place called Dive Bar. Now, Dive Bar is closed now, but this would be a place we go, I think, every month, and it was hosted by our friend Tiger, and if if you're a fan of the show, you know Tiger has been in quite a few of our episodes. Mm-hmm. He was on the King of Games for one episode, and he's actually, at the time of recording, he's going to be on our next episode, um... That um, next mainline episode, not next release, but next mainline episode. So um, he hosted this at the bar and he'd have like retro games and current consoles and all arcade consoles there and drinks that were named after, you know, or video games or video game themed and stuff like that. And he'd have giveaways where he'd, you know, have games that he'd hand out to you or Amiibo he'd hand out to you based on tickets and stuff like that. And it was just like this. It was like really at the height when retro gaming was less about look at the size and value of my collection and it was more social. And uh, that, that Absolutely. last and that was like from like 2013 to like 2016. And then it just kind of fell off a cliff, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in terms of the sociability of it. Now, everyone I see is online, at least locally in Jax. I can't speak for everywhere, but here in Jax, it just since Tiger stopped doing these events, it's, it's just kind of died in terms of a social aspect. And I know you have smash tournaments or whatever, but, uh, I digress. Anyway, I met Shane at one of these 
events, and I can't remember specifically how we became friends, uh, or or really the the timeline of it. But we also had a mutual friend that ran a video game store uh, that we're still that we still uh, somewhat communicate with. I'm still like going to this video game store, but we hung out there. Uh, they would have tournaments at the store too. We ran into each other there. We ran into each other at Arcade Jacks, and we just started hitting it off like like friends would. So we started hanging out outside of these things, and we went to a bar that's uh, that's in our community, and it's called Brewers. It's a microbrewery and a pizza, uh, pizza uh, whatever you call it. I want to call it a pizza hut because, you know, that <laughs> doesn't make sense. Pizza joint, that's the word. I'm losing words go. now all of a sudden. Yeah, pizza that's joint. Okay. So um, we're sitting there, and we're, we're drinking this, this craft beer, you know, high in, high in IBUs and... Uh, percentages and just you know enjoying the night and getting buzzed and then we just start talking video games like anyone would now you don't expect many people in this bar to like be big video game fans especially the people who are around us and there's this older gentleman probably in his mid-40s early 50s who just turned to us and said man i don't know what the hell you're talking about (laughs) but i could listen to you guys talk all night because you just you have a good conversation. You seem to know what you're talking about. You're interested in it, and you're you're passionate about it, and you just seem really interesting. So we were like, you know what? Maybe we should start a podcast. And then around early 2013, we got a a a blue ice microphone, mm-hmm. and we went to Shane's place, and he had uh this this room that was surrounded by Ninja Turtles, and he had a table, <laughs> and I bring over a six pack or two of craft beer. And we just started recording. And um, at the time, we were really heavily influenced by the Completely Unnecessary podcast with Pat Contry and Ian Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And so if you go back and listen to that and the structure of it, and that was kind of what my influences were. And I'm sure Shane, I think he was listening to Giant Bomb. So we would have these this news segment. And after the news segment, we get into like our topic du jour, like whatever we wanted to talk about. And um, it was it's pretty terrible. At least I think so. <laughs> if you go back and listen to it, uh, there's times I think I was trying to be too edgy, but that was kind of the attitude back in 2014, 2015. Right. But yeah, that was just kind of what it was. And so in 2016, I had to leave to Bahrain, which is a country in the Middle East, and we had to drop the podcast. And then I went from Bahrain to a little tiny island in the middle of the Indian Ocean called Diego Garcia. And again, we weren't able to continue it, so we were down for two years. I finally got back to the States, and then Shane was like, hey, uh, I kind of miss doing the podcast. Do you want to start it back up again? I'm like, yeah, sure, man. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Um, We'll see how it goes. And pretty much what you're listening to now is just a continuation of us picking it back up. We changed the format. Uh, We've kind of tinkered with it since, but we're pretty much the same show we've been since 2018, and... Just the same spirit is there since 2015, and after seven years, I, I, you know, I'm I'm still shocked we're doing it. So uh, it's been a great ride. Have you gone back to that bar and tried to find that old guy again? Because it seems like no. he maybe, he was like the like maybe the sign from God. It was like, hey, you should probably do this. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to remember him clearly, considering the situation. <laughs> That's true. Um, I don't think he would be able to remember us clearly either. So it's just kind of like. It's it's just one of those moments that's trapped in time. Yes, as I say, a great anniversary episode is if we could hunt him down and get him on the show, but uh, I don't know <laughs> if that would be that would be possible. Yes. 
I'll just run around the neighborhood, look for a random old dude and be like, hey, get get over here. You remember this? No, neither do we. But we're sure it's you. Right. Exactly. We'll probably get shot or beat up or something. I don't know. Oh, that would not be good. Oh, that'd be very unfortunate, but it'd make for a good story. Yeah. Now so, to the dick dragon. Oh, that's right. I had the second part to the question. That's right. <laughs> I can't. I need to go back into the archives because whatever the first episode was, I don't think it was ever intended to be what it is. Um, and I haven't gone back and I, I can't even remember specifically, but Shane recalls it being I had as I have in my intro, I have alliteration. I've always had alliteration in my in- intros going back to the first couple episodes and in the the first 19 or 20 episodes all that alliteration was just ad-libbed i was just making up on the fly uh, most because i was drunk and i thought it was cool <laughs> and then it just became just you know part of the identity and one time i think the alliteration was as shane says i said like dick dragon doggo and <laughs> i was like i just i think for the next intro i just left dick dragon in i just started making variations on dick dragon <laughs> and it wasn't a dragon at the time. It was like literally dragging a dick. Um, it wasn't had nothing to do with a serpent or or uh, a serpent dick. It was just dragging dick. And then on Instagram one time we were advertising an episode, and one of our listeners put an eggplant dragon emoji, <laughs> and we were like, "Yeah, this we like that." <laughs> I don't know when I started shouting. I don't know when I started getting into the ring announcer thing. Uh, it definitely wasn't when the show started because I think it was when I picked up watching wrestling again while I was on deployment in, in 20, well, when I was away in Diego Garcia in 2017, 2018. And then I just came back. It's like, yeah, I'm going to, at one point I was like, I'm just going to start doing like a wrestling announcer thing with this. And this would be stupid fun. And I like it. <laughs> so I guess I, I, I know I'm not giving you a good origin story, but it's just, like the myth is I want the myth to become bigger than the reality. So I'm just going to keep rolling with this and I'm, I'm never going to try and find out. I, I think that's perfectly fine. And just <laughs> all of a sudden, it just seems like so many things where it's just like, oh, hey, like an old guy said we were going to talking. So we did this and like, hey, somebody sent us an eggplant dragon thing. And all of a sudden it's like all the stars are aligning for everything like it was meant to be. So I think that's that's absolutely amazing. It's you were meant to do this and now you can never stop. So never never ever uh so you guys on the show mostly focus on what we would call quote-unquote retro video games uh yeah. so my question for you was looking like kind of at your backlog of episodes i was trying to discern where your guys' like line in the sand was with like what you would cover on the show so do you guys have like a certain line in the sand it's like hey like past this year past this era like things aren't really retro anymore so we, we won't go past there or are you guys just really down for whatever it has been a while since we stressed it, but um, we go back 10 years. So anything made within the past 10 years is uh, after. Yeah, not within the past 10 years. 10 years or older is fair game. Oh, OK. Like anything. Um, and I know a lot of people don't think that's retro because you hear people say 15 years and you hear people say PS2 or PS1. And I, I, I get it. Retro is completely subjective. But I go back to when I was playing games, you know, as a teenager and I was really starting to kind of get into collecting, but not really. I was just kind of chasing after series I loved. And people would ask, hey, what what kind of video games do you play? And I was like, oh, I play Castlevania. And they're like, oh, you mean for like the N64 or the PlayStation 2 or whatever? <laughs> I was like, no, I just got Castlevania 3 for my Nintendo. 
and they were like, oh, you play those old games. <laughs> it's like, and this was in, this was like in 98, 99. So they, they were it's like, it's like eight years old. It's not that old. Nine years old. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's, but you have to, it's all relative, right? Because if, if you're like 16, 17 years old and you remember playing a game when you're six or seven, that's an eternity. And now that we're older, like I'm, I'm 37 now. I, I look at games I played when I'm, when I was 27 and I was like, that wasn't that long ago, but it was, that's a decade. That's right. an entire decade. Like the world has changed, the environment has changed, culture has changed. So much has happened in the past ten years, and this happen this happens every ten years. Every decade is different. So when you go back ten years, if you go back to two thousand twelve and you look at the games that came out back then, you're like, yeah, it feels like yesterday I played that. But it's yeah, it's been ten years, man. Like we did an episode on Mass Effect, the original Mass Effect, and I remember when we were in there talking about the intro. It's like, hey, look. You might be asking, why is this an episode? But this game is like 12 years old. Right. So <laughs> we don't know what to tell you. This game is fucking old. And if that makes you feel bad, um, sorry, like you're you're becoming an old man. And this is a retro game because I guarantee you there's people out there. that are like 22, 23, 24 years old. You go back 10 years and that's like, yeah, that's my middle school days. Like that was a long time ago, man. <laughs> Um, even though time is a lot different and relative to us now as older people. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And yeah, I haven't really thought about that. Like, yeah, every 10 years, things really do change. I was just playing the other day. I was, I've been playing through the uncharted and my wife was like watching me play and she was like, Oh, like these games came out a while ago. And I'm like, no, they're not like they were like 2010, 2011. And I was like, Oh, like that's actually a while yeah. ago. That's literally ten, like literally 10 years ago. So yeah, that's really interesting to think about how like the lens of like a decade really because you can look back a decade and be like, oh, yeah, like all these games kind of fit into like this decade because that was just like what it was back then. So uh, that's that's really, really interesting. So uh, in your experience kind of doing the podcast, have you, I guess, starting the podcast up until like now, you, you can even like consider like the first podcast you and Shane did. Uh, have you kind of learned anything about your tastes in games in general or your just general tastes and have you had any kind of opinions that have like kind of shifted as you've like played games or done stuff for the podcast in terms of my taste in games i th i think for me it's relatively stayed the same i haven't really found any games or genres i've i've leaned into or leaned away from really and if i have i i haven't noticed it in, in particular i still play a lot of jrpgs uh, I still like my platformers, um, beat em ups. Like the the kind of games I like are the kind of games I like. What I will say is, when we started this show way back in 2015, I thought that last generation. Now it's last generation. Like with the Xbox One, PS4, mm -hmm. uh, Wii U, that that generation was complete, total, and utter trash. <laughs> and this was. This was like three years into the generation, and I was I was fucking pissed with it. And this was back when I was still playing new games, like right. regularly. And I was just like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in this industry. Every single game is, you know, dirt and mud and grizzled, shaven head, white dude shooting. Why, is, things. why are all these grays and browns? <laughs> what is happening? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was just like I don't this gen like. I'm I'm going to go to PC gaming so I can go back and play older games. Or this is why I play retro games because everything now is just sucks. Uh, but now I look at what the PS4 and the Switch 
because I would kind of lump the Switch into the previous gen. I wouldn't call it a next-gen system. But what they accomplished, you know, what they accomplished in bringing a lot of games to the forefront with their digital stores and just the variety, like how many games are out there. And there's something for everyone now. And I just look, I look at my PS4 collection and I, if you told me I would have almost like a hundred PS4 games in my library in 2015, I wouldn't have just believed you. I would have slapped you and probably yelled at you. <laughs> like there was no way I would have believed you. I, I would say I'm just collecting retro games forever, but I have just been so enamored with the, with the quality and quantity that we've seen just in the, since 2015. It's it's been explosive, and so in terms of my taste in that, I would say there's that um that has changed that. I've realized that like the last generation that gaming is getting better. It's just sometimes you got to wait for it and then it'll catch up. It'll, it'll be there. Don't worry. Um, the other thing I could say is I used to be really anti-digital gaming to the point I swore like I'm only buying physical games. So when we have to go all digital, I'll have enough physical games to last me a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I certainly do. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, but at the same time, I've, I've come to grow on digital games just because everything I bought on steam 10 years ago, I can still sit down and I can play on my computer, but -hmm. there are physical games I bought 10 years ago that just through some unfortunate circumstance got scratched or, or got damaged or weren't handled correctly because I was a terrible collector at the time. Cause I didn't Mm -hmm. consider myself a collector. I was just trying to get games I wanted to play and there is a difference, but, um, I can't play those games, but I can play digital games. And it's like, wow. Digital games don't suck. So, uh, <laughs> and we'll talk about that in our next episode, too. We, uh, we, we really get into it. But that, that's been a big change for me. And that's interesting, the points you bring up, too, because, yeah, it really was around that, that PlayStation 4 era where we really saw, um, you, you know, back in the day, like, the kinds of games you guys were playing for the show a lot of the time. Um, you know, with the exception of like when your Mass Effects and stuff, but a lot of the older games, you guys like at that stage in life, games really hadn't like hit the mainstream yet. I mean, they were still viewed as by like toys by a lot of people. So, um, yeah, now how like corporatized gaming has become and how much money there is in the industry, it's like, yeah, like of course there's something for everybody because they're gonna squeeze every single dollar out of every single person that they can that they possibly can. So that's that's it's, an interesting way to look at it. I think it's always been like that. It's just easier to do it now. Because That's now true. everyone is online. Um, back then, yeah, they, you still had egregious amounts of DLC or overpriced DLC or just nickel. Like, I don't think, I don't know if you remember Assure's Wrath for the Xbox 360. Yes. But, like, you can't even get the ending of that game unless you download the DLC. I did not know that. Or something That's like that. Inter- yeah. That's interesting. There is, there's been egregious DLC forever. It's just now because everyone is connected and everyone is online. Uh, like really getting into the microtransaction gotcha kind of gameplay is is definitely easier to do now and the, like you said the corporatization of video games it was definitely there i think what really turned that corner was probably the playstation 2 mm-hmm. when not only you had a game system but a dvd player so you brought in your your average person as opposed to like your your geeky tech person or the person who's just there for the really cool graphics now you're bringing in 
you know, mom and dad who want to watch their rom-com after playing some some casual party games. And right. then the Wii just turned it on its head again when you really think about it and brought it to everything. So, like, the corporatization is there. They've just gotten really good at it. But that doesn't mean that you can't find really good experiences because the quantity is so massive that, yes, you have your Fortnites, you have your, you know, live services that are out there that you could argue are exploitative of the gaming public. But if you avoid those altogether, like I do, you still have a cornucopia of options that you're going to be satisfied with. Right. And you don't feel like you're missing out because, yeah, no. I, it's it's the, the law of like numbers, right? It's like if there's so many things like odds are some of them are bound to be like really still really good to fight all the maybe quote unquote trash that's being put out. Not to call sure. like, not to call games trash because I try not to trash anybody on here. If Fortnite's no. your favorite game, go for it. Like I'm happy for you. That's great uh just not a huge fan of it on here so <laughs> no but, no no. Um, i'm not going to trash fortnite either fortnite's going to be a fantastic game for a lot of people growing up they're going to look back on it with nostalgia goggles the same way we look back at super mario brothers it's just that yes it is a very exploitive game exploitative game that's trying to take your money right that's it's just what it is right you call a spade a spade i absolutely agree yep. uh it's interesting though and i'm gonna go off a little bit of side tangent here away from the outline but i'm glad you brought that up because like I still think it's a little bit different because a game, like you said, like Fortnite, the way everything's online is like constantly evolving. Whereas like Super Mario Bros back in the day is like a very concrete experience. Right. So the kids today like aren't going to be able to like go back and do what we do with like our games because like Super Mario Bros doesn't change, but Fortnite is constantly changing. You can't play Fortnite in its original state anymore because it's, it's so changed from like drastically changed from what it is because of the monetization aspect. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that point, but I just it just popped in my head. So, <laughs> well, well, you saw that with WoW, right? Like people started saying, "Hey, we want to go back. We want to play vanilla World of Warcraft." Oh yeah, and Blizzard was like, "You're stupid. Shut up." And, and they're like, "Wait, people then, will pay for this?" Yeah, then they're like, "Oh wait, we can make money by just letting them play our old crap." Okay, <laughs> right, exactly. Play our old crap then. They were uh, playing it for free, and now now they're not. So, hooray. They'll give us the original experiences for money, which is the always the, the common denominator, right? It's the almighty dollar. <laughs> of course, of course. So when people come and listen to Retro Hangover, uh, is there something that you want them to take away from coming to listen to your episode? Is there like a message you want them to take away when they listen to an episode of Retro Hangover? A message? Not really. I, I think what I want them to think about when they listen to it is, are you just, are you enjoying the conversation? Like, mm. um, is this, is this making you think about this game or, or kind of remember this game or is this a game you've, you've heard about or not heard about and maybe you want to check it out or maybe you'll want to find out some information on it or maybe just like the friendly banter. Like, like I've said, the old man who had no idea what we were talking about, but somehow enjoyed our conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, like we, there's there's no I don't think I definitely know there's no message in it other than we're just two dudes talking about video games. And <clears throat> I think I like I think I like that message. I think the message does kind of get carried in there that I don't think is intentional is mm -hmm. uh, sometimes games do hold up and sometimes they don't. Uh, nostalgia is a powerful, powerful tool. And sometimes our nostalgia does betray us because we do ask, does this game hold up today? And there's been times when we've recommended games that we really liked when we were younger and we brought them on to review for the show and we were like, Oh no, this is shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Clive Barker's Undying is one of those games where <laughs> Shane was like, man, I love this game. This game slapped back in 2001. <laughs> and 
we got to the review of the episode and I was like, Shane, why'd you make me play this? And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, not so much. I wasn't trying to say like a message. Like you're trying to indoctrinate people, right? Like that's an, uh, no, unless, no, no, no. If that's your thing, I go leave for that it. To I, the, <laughs> I leave that to Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But um, if, if I can at least say like what I've taken away from it, someone like me, I would say my gaming knowledge goes back fuzzily to like 1994 which is when i was three years old and that was like the first time i ever played a game like anything from until i was like 10 is kind of a blur so you guys do a really great job of like introducing me to things that i had no idea existed like you've you've been on a chronicle the last several episodes play all the east games is is basically what i've understood and i had no idea what those even were until you talked about them so uh you guys are doing the lord's work and being a part of video game history and that's how i feel about it because you guys do at the beginning of your episodes you do like um the brief history and you just kind of fill in all yeah. those gaps of things that were happening at the time so um whenever and i come to it's a really show, hard to do because <laughs> <laughs> like there, there are games that like they're like and we made a sequel because it's it, the first mm-hmm. one was successful i'm sorry i cut you off but that's like, why you mentioned the brief history and it's just like yeah it's really informative it's like sometimes i make half that shit up <laughs> <laughs> It sounds convincing, but and that's what I've come to discover, too, is um, I've come talking to you and uh, to Keith, who I name drop all the time on the podcast. But yeah, when I talk Keith's to you guys great. about these shows, yeah, I, great guy. But when we talk, it's almost like when you go back to some of these older games, like there's not a lot of information on them. Like you don't know who made them. You don't know like who the specific composers, designers, all these things were like they were just put out by people. And that information is often very difficult to find. Do you find that that's normally the case sometimes or? Uh, yes. Um, Konami is, is pretty bad about that. When you, when you go to older Konami games, like Castlevania, you look up on how Castlevania was made. And a Mm -hmm. lot of it is just these, these people made it, we think, and this person did this probably. (laughs) Um, and you see that a lot from, from Japanese developed games from like the, the eighties and early nineties. Um, it even comes to like when you look for history and how games were developed or what was the thought process to to making some of them. Sometimes it's just as much as especially with bigger games. This is why I say like you have to make half of it up, not making up facts. You know, I'm just right. I'm making up uh, uh, words and try to describe the scenario and the situation around gaming at the time, because, you know, I was back there and I have a relatively uh, good understanding of how gaming was was being perceived. But. You look at uh, some of these games and it's just like, okay, this is a sequel to this game and they made it because they wanted to make money. <laughs> and it's like, what do we write for something like that? You know, <laughs> it's just, I, okay, here's a brief history. The first one was a good one Wait, and they the, wanted to make another one. God bless <laughs> capitalism. That's, that's pretty much the main thing. But I always, I always find that so fascinating. And, and yeah, I remember... I don't know if it was on one of your episodes or someone else's, but yeah, a lot of those Konami guys or a lot of people like even developed under like pseudo names. So it's like, you don't actually really know if the people that were like in the credits were the actual people that made the game. Nowadays you have to sit through like 40 minutes of credits and anybody that like breathes near the game gets put into the credits now, it seems like. So yeah, especially, especially Castlevania because they use pseudonyms that were like horror major horror movie actors. Oh, okay. Like, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember any off the top of my head, so I'm immediately losing gamer cred here. <laughs> if you look at if you look at some of the names at the end of that game, it's just like these are monster movie actors. So they they didn't even give like any real credits to any of their developers for that game, and they made I think all three of the first Castlevanias. 
So everyone looks at like Iga, uh, Koji Igarashi, as the father of Castlevania because he made Symphony of the Night and everyone's mm-hmm. super into it. And I think you have more of a a tracked legacy for Super Castlevania for I think just Castlevania in Japan because he was future treasure staff to an extent. I'm not sure how many of them went on to become part of treasure. Okay. I know a lot of them left Konami, but like the first three that were so fun foundational to the entire series, the first three games were developed by people that no one knows exactly what they did on the game or if they even really worked on it. It's all just heavily rumored and, and through conjecture. And I'm sure they're not the only games. It's just, the only reason we really know that about Konami and Castlevania is because that became such a big game. Exactly, exactly. So, oh, I scrolled down my outline here. Um, do, you, do you have, doing the podcasting retro hangover, do you have some quote-unquote favorite experiences that you've had doing the podcast over <clears throat> the years? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, first, my, the first really great experience I think we had was when we relaunched it in 2018 and we are on Instagram and the first time, and I'm sure you've had it too on either side questing or, or here on unlockables. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see you say that with Keith name dropping Keith again. Hi, Keith. <laughs> he lives in my podcast <clears throat> rent free. It's okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but, um, it's when that first person that reaches out to you and say they really enjoyed your show and you have no fucking idea who the hell that is. <laughs> Like um, Ryan, Ryan Trainer, uh, he he's been he's been on a couple of our episodes. We're, we're we're pretty much done like a yearly thing with him, like with Fist of the North Star. Now we've done two years in a row. He's told him, hey, every year you're going to be like our anime guest in January, right? And um, he was he reached out to us one time, and and Shane asked me, he's like, hey, you know who you know who Ryan Trainer is? And I'm like, dude, I thought he was your friend. He's like, no. <laughs> and so that's that's probably my favorite experience. Um, because that's when you realize people you don't know are starting to listen to you and you're starting to get some traction. So even if you never make it big, someone you have never met before in your entire life is now listening to the little product you're putting out there in, into the ether, uh, for anyone to look for and enjoy. And it's, it's found people and that's why you do this. You just, I mean, I could talk to myself all day. Um, but if, if you put a podcast out there, I think everyone who does that hopes someone finds it, listens to it and enjoys it and genuinely tells you that because if you right. get it from a family member, I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> it doesn't, it never feels genuine. Right. Right. It, like they could mean it. They could be like, I really like your show. And you're just like, okay. You know, <laughs> it's thank you. Right. But, um, I see you all the time. <laughs> you yeah. have to be nice to me. Basically, <laughs> uh, exactly right. Uh, I I think the other one was. Did you ever watch CGR Undertow? I did not know. Back in the day, so big YouTube channel. We got a uh, Derek Buck on our show, and oh, okay, you go into the YouTube archives if you just look our most viewed episode in YouTube. It's the episode that we did an interview with him on. And as someone who watched a lot of uh, classic Game Room, which was really a inspir- really inspirational to me starting to get back into older video games back in 2012 uh having him on the show was just mind-blowing that we could have him there and uh it was it was just a distinct honor for us to have him on that episode and be able to interview him and it was such a good time and our uh the fact that our editor is is an alum from classic game room 
undertow is is also an honor so like that, that that's probably I know that. that's very one. cool yeah. that's very cool yeah it's 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 just been an amazing journey so like all these experiences that we have had and those two really stick out and mm-hmm. that's not to diminish all the other experiences that we had with all our other guests and all the other friends we've made along the way but those are just some standout ones to be like wow like we're, we might actually be having something here or at least something that we can stay motivated enough to continue to do this right and yeah i experience i did experience the same thing it's it's a very good feeling when someone reaches out and says like hey i listened to it and like it because you know yeah the reason i I didn't start the podcast with the intentions of like becoming a famous anything at all and i still have never have that intention but just to know that people are listening to something you work hard on is is really great even though to this day i'm like why do you listen to this? It's absolute garbage. I think it's trash. So you should probably just stop. But um, yeah, I, and it's today to this day, I've kind of built my shows off of like, I haven't told anyone outside of my wife, that my friends or family that I do a podcast. I wanted to see if I could build it with that outside without that, you know, built in support kind of. So mm-hmm. um, let, me, let me ask you this. I just I'm adding questions all over. Just throwing curveballs. Go idea. for it, man. So yeah. Uh, do you have a, a dream guest that you'd like to have come on the show? Like if you could get anybody, like no questions asked, do you have somebody that you'd love to have on? Uh, this came up in our Ask Me Anything episode, and I'm going to stay with it. Interesting. I, I don't know if it's as strong now, so I might have to think a little hard because it, it was Kenny Omega. Okay. From AEW Wrestling. I don't know if you watch wrestling. I've heard the name. Okay. But, like, in terms of, like, YouTube personalities, we had, like, Joe Redifer on from GameSack on, on, for the East episode, and that was just, I can't, that was one of those moments, like, I can't believe this is happening. That's like, very cool. This is, yeah. this is amazing. I know we've wanted to get uh, Mark Bustler from Classic Game Room that I said before on. Uh, it, we haven't had a lot of luck there, but, you know, we, we've had Try from My Life and Gaming on for mm-hmm. uh, Beetle Adventure Racing. It looks like um, we may be able to get a Corian in the near future. We're working on that. So in terms of just working with people, and even like when I was working with uh, Josh from Still Loading, just to be on an episode on on his platform, of course, with uh, Game Dave, it's like, wow, I've had all these episodes now where I've I've been with the YouTubers that kind of started getting me into my obsession with retro games and. If I don't get like if I if we never get another big fish on our show as a guest in terms of like a major name, I like I think I'm I think I could be satisfied. But if you want to talk about dream guest, yeah, I mean, it's it's Kenny Omega because he's a wrestler and he's he probably would be great to have a conversation with just by what you see. But of course, got to be a little leery in terms of meeting your heroes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. um, Always do. Yeah. But I think it still would be fun. I mean, what, what, what would yours be? Uh, I've said this. I've uh, a couple episodes. Uh, it hands down be Reggie. I'm sorry, Re- that's great. oh yeah, yeah. Reggie. Fr- Reggie. Uh, I I would love to pick his brain about him working at Nintendo. Just how, like, literally, he comes out and like shows off the DS. He's like, I'm here to kick ass and take names. I'm like, who's this guy from Nintendo that's just coming out here and and t- like shit talking everybody? Uh, I I think he would be fascinating to talk to. I'm sure he's way too busy for for someone likes me, but. That's like my sky high in the sky goal for sure. I think he'd be a fascinating person to talk to. Uh, oh, I'm certain, man. Yeah. You'd probably get a lot of corporate speak too. Absolutely. I think that's, that's the thing that would concern me about Reggie. He would be a fantastic interview because he has the charisma and the personality. Right. 
but it would be just it would be like yeah it was so good and right it was a great time and it's just like no like, reggie give me nintendo's dirty secrets i want all of them like you but, spill the dirt yeah. come on <laughs> let me know what you did to the labor unions exactly <laughs> <laughs> how much labor did you exploit when you were there oh i'm sorry this is not gotcha journalism <laughs> And he's like, I'm leaving. Thank you. Right. It just signs off. I, I blew it. I, I would still publish that five minutes of audio as an episode, though. Hands down. Oh, yeah. That's that's why you got the Zencaster. Exactly. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, ask you, uh, in your guys' time doing Retro Hangover, you've built quite an awesome community on your Discord of patrons, of, of people that just love old games like you guys do. Uh, so I just want... Yeah, awesome people. I'm in the Discord too. I don't interact as much as I should because I just get Discord stage fright. And uh, oh, I understand, yeah, yeah. But uh, I just wanted to know if you have any advice that you give people who would like want to do something and build a community the same way you guys have. Like, what, what, where would you start off with that? I think first you got to identify what kind of community you want to have, and then be genuine to that. What I mean by what you want, what, what kind of community you want to have, it doesn't mean like you necessarily just want to curate a community, but realize what kind of content you're putting out there and the kind of people you are going to attract. So um, like in a current environment right now, like the very supercharged political environment, it's easy to get in to get into politics as a podcaster, I think, mm. um, or just a content creator. Like you, everyone wants to have an opinion on something one way or another. And that's fine. And I'm not, I would never condemn anyone for having an opinion politically, whatever, whatever you think. Right. Well, not whatever you think, but you know what I mean? Right. But, um, like if, if, if you're going to attract that community, you have to realize that you may be shutting out other communities and that that's fine with you. That's fine with you. Mm -hmm. I, I personally try to take a more broad approach and just be like, we, we like to talk about games, um, and, and try to keep it to that. Um, and as long as you keep it, as long as you keep that in the discussion in the forefront, because I do think a lot of people do need that release valve where it's just talking about games mm -hmm. and you don't really try to bring in reality too much. I mean, you can't escape it and you're in our discord and sometimes we do have some real topics we talk about just because right. the world exists. You can't just pretend it doesn't. Um, but in terms of maintaining that conversation, and that's the other thing is if you're going to have a community, sometimes you have to realize that. Uh, your community is going to have discussions that um, may go in a direction that I don't I, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it because I don't want to be like sound like a douchebag here. But um, no, I get, you what, you, have, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like you have a community that like sometimes you're going to get people in your community that that are going to might make people uncomfortable they might not cross a line, but they might be right up against that line mm -hmm. and you have to be prepared in order to handle that. Uh I think the other thing, and this is where I'm not, this is where I'm fortunate because we're not this big yet. We're fortunate and unfortunate. I don't know how you want to call that, but um, you got to be prepared for haters. You have to put yourself mentally in position uh, to, to take criticism, whether that criticism is valid or not. Because like I said, we haven't ran into it yet. So I don't know how mentally prepared I am for it myself. So I don't want to sound <laughs> like, you know, King, King Dick over here and, and the master of psychology. But <laughs> Um, and the other thing is too, we really don't put anything out there on social media in terms of anything too hot or too spicy or, or really controversial. And if we do, it's like very snarky, right? Um, 
But that's the thing. It's supposed to be fun. I, I want to create a community that is fun. But if you're going to do that, you, you have to... You have to be that way. I think you also have to listen to your community. You have to respect your community. You have to... You have to set a tone and you have to make sure that tone is consistent within your community and that you're genuine. I think that's the most important thing is that you're genuine because if you're not genuine, anyone's going to be able to sniff out somebody who's just in it for cash or who's just in it for popularity, who isn't having a good time. Like video games are my hobby. So at least for me in this community, and again, this is for me, I'm not directly speaking for Shane. Mm -hmm. um, he can, I'm sure he has his own take and the way he manages, he wants to see his community managed, this community managed. Um, is that if this is, as long as this is your hobby and as long as you're enjoying it, then these conversations you can have about games and your episodes can continue to be genuine outside of the podcast itself because mm -hmm. that's what people are basing it off of. And you can continue to have these more personal actions on stuff like Twitch if you want to stream with your community that we do. Um, I know I'm kind of rambling, uh, but I'm just trying to cover the bases because it's a very difficult and layered question. And again, we don't have a massive community, but we have a fantastic community. And we are very lucky that we don't have haters and we don't have spammers mm -hmm. and we don't have like um, any sort of weird extremists on, on any side of the, uh, of the spectrum. And if we do, they, they don't display it in our community itself. They kind of understand that there's boundaries to what it is. Right. So if, if we do have some people out there that that do things that people normally don't agree with, and I, one thing, like, I'm not going to go and try and search it and find out. If you, if you do, like, if you post that stuff in our content or our community, it's not welcome. But um, I hope I don't have to go into detail about what those things are. I think we can use our imagination. Right. But um, they, they understand that there's, there's, there's things people like to talk about and... It's there, but you have to keep that environment there because I think once you get into a political realm, getting back to where I started here, mm -hmm. you have to be prepared for people who disagree with you. You have to be prepared for people who agree with you and disagree with other members of your community. So if you want to open Pandora's box, it's there. Um, and I'm not, again, no hate towards you. And if you do want to do that, do that early so you can curate that community for yourself and you don't run into those problems. Because right. if you stay politically neutral for a long time and then you want to dip your toe in politics, you are going to alienate a lot of your, your community one way or another. It's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. um, but be committed. Stick with it. And again, respect your community, appreciate your community, and do whatever you can for them. I think that's good advice. Uh, thankfully for now, it seems that most of the extremists stay to the dark depths of Twitter. So that, I think that's fortunate <laughs> definitely for all of us. That's an interesting point you bring up too because... Yeah, in this day and age, everything seems to be politicized in one way or another, even if you don't intend it to be. And yeah. because games are so big now, they have kind of crossed that line into it's like people are reading into things. It's like, OK, like, are you trying to make a statement? Are you trying to make a stand? Like, what do you believe for? Like, are you just going to are you going to speak up against this or are you not? And yeah, I think that's that's a very, very fine line. I'm I'm. I try to take the stance that like whatever your political beliefs are, like shouldn't be like your whole personality. Like you should be able to separate no. that a little bit, but like, you know, just because of how connected we always are and always talking to each other and we're always being bombarded with things that are happening. Yeah. That seems like a very natural thing of like, Hey, that would just naturally happen. Cause somebody would say something that would just, and it would just kind of spiral from there. But, um, that's good advice. And I'm, I'm glad you kind of provided some insight on that because 
you know, a lot of people would just be like, yeah, just like be yourself and like, you know, try and, it, you know, you're gonna have down weeks and stuff. But you really dug into a lot of things that I haven't really considered before. So I appreciate your answer on that. And you can ramble as long as you want. I'll sit here and listen to you ramble for the next like 65 <laughs> minutes and I'll call it an episode. That would be fantastic. Then people wouldn't have to listen to me talk. So I just want to be like concise and have like a right. very clear direction. And again, like I said, I haven't I haven't really. What is it? Encountered a lot of these situations. Right. And so, like I said, what I say, what I say, I take with a grain of salt. It's just how I approach it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that is something me and Shane have talked about um, kind of behind the scenes. Maybe he's going to be pissed that I'm saying this is like when it comes to politics, because uh, I'm, I'm a political science major. I love talking politics. Okay. So not getting into politics like kills me. But at the same time, I have to realize I, this is something like I told him is like we sometimes we, we do get political and, and we do skew one direction. And if we're fine with that, that's cool. And if we don't stop that, that's cool. But what are we going to do the minute that someone brings up a topic that we don't agree with? Mm-hmm. How are we going to react? And how would our community react? And how would our community perceive the way that we treat this person uh, uh, and towards the reaction and what they're saying? And that's it's a difficult line to balance. And it's something you need to be mindful of, especially in this modern environment. That's like that's great advice. It, it really is, too. Uh, man, if you if you talk politics as good as you talk retro games, I would die. To, I would actually listen to that for sure, because that would be a treat. It's not um, the first time I've been told that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. And uh, I think it, it comes to a point like in our current political discourse and climate, whereas I don't so much like everyone's entitled to their opinion. I'm on the same boat as you. It, it's just like people are so intolerant these days of a different type of thinking where it's like, hey, if you don't think the way I do, then you're against me. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can disagree and have civil conversations. So um, absolutely. Yes. I, I think that's an important part of curating a community. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to touch on my last question here for the podcast, and then we'll go into talking about you specifically. And we kind of been crossing back and forth, but sure. uh, you guys have some awesome supplementary content you guys do on your Patreon. Uh, most notable, I've been eating up like you guys did King of Games 2000. That was fucking awesome. It's one of my favorite things I've ever listened to. Uh, I just want to know, and you don't have to tell me if you're holding back on some stuff, but do you guys got any other like kind of cool ideas in the works or um, cool directions you want to go with different ideas for the show? Uh, Trying yeah. to get the inside scoop here. So already on our, our, our Patreon, our Patreon content is, is somewhat diverse, we, but we're kind of scattershot about it, and I'll even admit it, but we do have a kind of diverse list of content. So we have our not-so-rapid-fire reviews anymore because they're supposed to be 5 to 10 minutes, and now I'm rambling for, like, 25 minutes about games. So <laughs> That's all right. They're not so rapid. Um, so we have those on our on our Patreon content. We have our Growing Up Gaming content that I'm, I'm trying to find more people because this is the difficult part. But what I've done, and we've, I've, we've already released the Growing Up Gaming Australia episode that came out after April Fool's where we interviewed two members of our community from Australia about what it was like growing up in Australia, buying games, playing games, stuff like that, which considering most of our audience is from the United States mm-hmm. and North America, they would probably find very interesting. And uh, this upcoming um, weekend at the time of this recording, we're going to be releasing one that's still exclusive to Patreon, but as of this weekend, it won't be with uh, growing up gaming in Cuba, which um, that's very cool. Was 
yeah, it was a really great interview. We also have one like Growing Up Gaming in Portugal for our patrons coming up, uh, Growing Up Gaming in uh, Brazil, uh, just and Growing Up Gaming Puerto Rico. And I'm looking to try and do more of that in the future. It's just finding people, uh, lining them up, and doing those episodes is going to be more difficult. I think I might be having one in the future of Growing Up Gaming in the UK. So we'll see. Nice. And on top of that, uh, we have like video games were a mistake, which I think is our most... Uh, <laughs> underused topic and i can understand why because again sometimes that can delve into the political and i have gotten a little political on those shows but so far they're only uh patreon exclusive and uh those are where we just rant about the goings-on of the current gaming industry and what mm. why we think it sucks um or what the, not that it sucks or what they're doing wrong or something about right. it that sucks um so we don't we don't utilize that enough but that's that's one of the other shows we we do from time to time uh we're Hopefully we get to do another King of Games. There's a couple of years we're looking at, but that's uh, all up to region free gamers because that's technically their baby because they started out with King of Games 98. So um, ah, the King okay. of Games concept is their IP, so to speak. Right. And I don't think I'd do another one without the blessing of uh, the members of the uh, region free gamers podcast. Mm -hmm. um, now, the other the one other thing we're doing and this is going to be starting up real soon, our patrons know, so you're the first non-patron to know Ooh. officially, is that... Um, what you're saying is, I should, is just, I should just sign up for be a patron, is what you're saying. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what you do <laughs> with your money, but I would be honored if you were willing to do that. Um, but this is not a patron hide some money this from is... the wife every, every month. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, this one is actually for everyone who just wants to put down a dollar a month to be engaged with it, but it will be available to everybody. Whereas uh, we're going to be making a show to kind of make up for the fact that King of Games really increased the amount of people who are listening to our show because it became a weekly show. Mm -hmm. So it just increased the amount of listens, downloads, everything like that, which, hey, it's always a good thing. Like you're always wanting to expand your podcast again, just like you. I'm not looking to be a megastar. I don't think I can handle that responsibility. Right. <laughs> Especially seeing what happens to the way a lot of these larger podcasters are talked about and they're like oh you have a platform how you could say something so irresponsible because i'm an idiot i'm behind a microphone <laughs> and i'll say whatever the fuck i want to that's right why. but um you know we're, we're coming out with a new series we don't know what we're going to officially call it yet I'm, I'm not so i'm not even going to throw out um like conceptual names for it but we're doing top five lists so me and shane are going to have top fives very cool. Uh, and the patrons propose the topics. And if you're in our Discord, oh, you know that cool. these are they're <laughs> going to be fucking wild. Uh, some of which I'm just like, I hope we never get that. But it's up to them because they propose them. And then like we'll take a couple of them and we'll put them up on a patron poll mm. and they'll vote on them. And whatever gets whatever the top two vote getters for that month, uh, we will make them alternate to our mainline episodes. Right. So they'll be available to the public and be like, our crazy patrons wanted us to talk about our top five uh, characters we go gay for. So <laughs> here they are. And people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, well, if you don't want to hear this shit or you do love to hear this shit, you know, sign up for our, our Patreon at one dollar a month. <laughs> you and can vote against it, right? <laughs> you can it's vote for or against it or suggest your own fucking dumb ideas. OK, thank you. <laughs> uh, man, I actually I actually I, like that. That's a great idea. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man, because some of these ideas, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is this is going to be a beautiful disaster. <laughs> it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion so you can't help but, but not look away. So uh, exactly. Well, 
That's awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your show. That's awesome. If you heard it here first, there's some awesome stuff coming from Retro Hangover. If you're not listening, you should probably just listen. That would just be the thing you should do. Uh, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I want to. And if pick- you're listening to this right now, continue listening to it because he's putting out quality content. Oh, that's. Oh. I, I listen, I don't do compliments well. So now you've just ruined me for the rest of the night. Well, nor do I. So take that. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> let's, let's just be nice to each other for the next half hour and just squirm in our chairs. Maybe we should just be mean to each other. Would that be easier? Yeah, fuck you, Chris. No, we're yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> there, I'm more comfortable now. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're uh, welcome. So I want to pivot uh, from talking about the show to you specifically. So uh, I always ask people when we start talking about themselves. So where did it all start, Chris? Where did your kind of journey with games begin? I think it was 1989. Okay. So the reason I say I think it was 1989. So I'd be four. Um, It was Christmas. And not the three console Christmas, as listeners might know. But uh, it was just... Yeah, it was just a one console Christmas. This this one, <laughs> um, my dad got me a Nintendo, and that Nintendo was the Super Nintendo. Well, not a Super Nintendo. It was the NES uh, control deck with whatever it was called. With the again losing gamer cred with my uh, with the Zapper Mario Duck Hunt, but oh, not with yeah. Dragon Field. Yeah, standard deck, and it also came with Double Dragon Two. And the reason I specifically remember this is because I thought Double Dragon Two was a VHS tape. So I thought it was a, a cartoon movie or something like that, which if you really look back at it, why would a four year old look at a double dragon cover where it's like this dude in a whip and the scantily clad woman and they're all beating each other up? Be like, wow, this looks like a cool movie. <laughs> the 80s, ladies and gentlemen, were a fantastic time. <laughs> but uh, the reason I say I think it's 1989, I've, I've tried to confirm this is I like, well, when did Double Dragon 2 come out? And you see January or February of 1990. But so my dad would have had to buy this, wrap this and have this ready by December 25th, obviously, for Christmas. So I'm thinking either this was 1990 and of Christmas of <laughs> 1990 and I got Double Dragon 2 then. But that wouldn't make sense because by then there were a lot better games out. And he probably would have gotten me a Sega Genesis in 1990 because <laughs> Sonic was out. So, or the store he got it from broke street date, which was a, which, you know, actually was a, not a uncommon thing back then. Right. In the late, in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, especially with video games. Like if the store got it in, they would sell it. So I don't know why he picked double dragon two out of all games. First of all, <laughs> like how, what do you do? You walk up and like, Oh, this video game system looks really cool. Um, and he isn't the kind of guy 
isn't the kind of person that would be into a game like Double Dragon anyway. So even he had a passing curiosity of the NES, just as a as a as a man in, in tech himself. I don't know why he picked Double Dragon Two, or why the clerk at the store would recommend Double Dragon Two <laughs> to a four year old. But again, the eighties were a wild time, people. I just got to put that out. That's and that's where it started. That's uh. <laughs> I'm just imagining your dad, like the clerk behind it's like, you have a four-year-old son? It's like, man, I got the perfect game for you. Like, check out the lack of clothes on this scantily clad woman. Lack of clothes on everybody. <laughs> <I'm> just, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I've seen some of that. The video game covers and stuff, man, that that stuff was wild back then. Uh, oh, I miss yeah. I miss the 80s by two years, and uh, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, probably, <laughs> probably both. Probably so. both, yeah. So uh, what is, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Were you, were you no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. I was going to dive into my next question. So I just, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know, uh, has gaming kind of been a thing that's been a part of your life for your entire life? And, uh, if, if so, like, what has it kind of meant to you in, in your life? Oh yeah. Um, what has it meant to me in my life? It has been my, my biggest hobby for my, for, yeah, forever. Um, I don't think I've ever broken away from it as my biggest hobby. I've never really even been shy about it. There's been lulls, but even when I look back at the lulls that I've had with gaming in terms of being part of my life, they are very brief. Um, so I, I kind of look at it. Was I, I was more of a casual gamer at first, but I think we all were. When we were all really younger, mm-hmm. we would just gravitate towards the more popular and bigger games. But I, I think once... I think what makes everyone a, a permanent gamer in terms of a, a hobby is you find a niche game or you find a game that you just get really good at that's competitive. So if you're like, you see this with, sh- with uh, first-person shooter fans and, mm-hmm. and fighting game fans or shmup fans, you know, these games are really niche, but if you get really into them, they, they become your hobby. For me, it was RPGs. RPGs were niche when I first got into them. Like Final Fantasy was not a game that everyone knew about. Uh, Lunar was not a game that everyone knew, knows about. They still don't know about it. So, like for me, it was finding that niche and then finding friends that were within that niche and then just continuing to, uh, to develop my identity with with people that uh, also shared those interests. Now, like I look back at myself as a teenager and preteen, I'm like, I, fuck that dude. Uh, that was... <laughs> Really interesting time in my life. Uh, I was just a really fucking weird kid. I was probably really fucking weird until my probably mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, not like re- even a good weird, like a creepy weird. Um, I, I can relate to that. I'd like to go back and slap myself <laughs> like past me fifteen years ago, just a couple times, oh, just be God. like, get your life together, man. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's it's meant a lot to me. I mean, I'm you see my email. My my email was the email one of the first emails I made ever since when I came into the Navy, and it's fucking based off Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Mm-hmm. And I've held on to that email ever since. So like I I look at that and I just is it too much of my life? I don't know. Like everyone has something they identify with, whether it be sports or whether it be you know just anything, you know. Um, they, they, they latch onto something within their life and it becomes that cornerstone and, and so much attached to it. I, I guess I am fortunate enough to say like I had enough interest in other things to not make it my own hobby. And I, I would hope that for anybody. Like if you have a hobby, if you have an interest, 
at least some have some other things you're interested in. So your only hobby and interest isn't just gaming or mm-hmm. isn't just the thing you're into. So like I'm still into sports. Like I love watching football. Um, like I said, I'm a poli sci major. I love being in the politics. I like the political debate and theater and everything like that. I find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, those are all supplementary to what I do with video games because you do need a break from time to time. You need do need things to break that up. And you also need video games to kind of break up yourself from those other hobbies because you don't want to get too obsessed with those as well. So, um, but in terms of what is what is it has it meant to my life? I think it has just largely been a hobby up until the podcast, and now it's kind of being, um, it's kind of a job, kind of mm-hmm. because you do have to play that game, you do have to uh, do your research, do you have to get that episode out? But um, prior to that, it was, yeah, just more of a hobby I was just deeply involved in. And I think that's, for me, I think that's that's optimal. And however you handle your hobbies is how you handle your hobbies, by the way. And again, I'm not, I would never judge the way that people do things as long as you find a way to, to keep a roof over your head and you, you maintain your own responsibility about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, you don't want anything to become too obsessive to the point that it's damaging, right? Um, but I've I've had that that fortunate streak to it that hey in my downtime I play video games and I enjoy them I love them but I realize there's a life outside of it so yes I love them I don't want to say biggest part of my life but like damn near mm-hmm. it is who I am and I think the most difficult part about that has just been embracing that and letting other people um, outside of my close group of friends know that I think that's a problem for a lot of gamers too mm-hmm. Um, because I think there is still that stigma that games are for, for children or immature adults. But, um, I think that's changed a lot as well over time, but I will say that, uh, yeah, that's what it means to me and I'll continue to collect games and I'll continue to look back and I'll continue to grow this, this collection. I'll probably never touch, you know, 90% of, but, uh, it's, (laughs) it's, I, I look at all these things and everything gives me a memory. Everything tells me a story. And this is something I know I can, if anyone asks me a question, I can say with pride, I know something about it. People can say that's cool. And that does fill me with a sense of weird accomplishment, even though I mm-hmm. didn't really do anything other than buy and know something about this piece of plastic. But uh, uh, that's that's kind of what it is for me. Right. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because... I would echo some of those same sentiments, even even to this day. I mean, I said earlier in, earlier in the show that I didn't I haven't told any of my friends that I have a gaming podcast because none of them are really into it as heavy as I am. And um, it's partly because I wanted to prove to myself that I could build something from the ground up. It's also partly apprehension because it's like, yeah, I'm a 30 year old guy talking about video games on the Internet. You know, is that acceptable? It, it's It's still something even back in like high school and stuff like my parents didn't look on it very favorably about the amount of time I spent playing games. It was an escape outside of school for me. So um, I'm glad that you echoed that because for a lot of the times, even too with like living with my wife, she's like, you talk to random strangers on the internet about video games. It's, it's still hard to kind of justify that sometimes it's so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. It makes me feel just a little bit better about myself. So thank you very much. There's, there's a crowd for everybody, man. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we should. I think if you're into something and you're, and you're part of a hobby, and understand you're never going to be in a perfect environment. People are always going to be dicks. People are always going to make fun of you for whatever you like. And Absolutely, that sucks. You're never going to be able to get away from that. But the more open you are about it, I think. And this is. I know it's hard. I know I'm not saying it's hard. 
easier than doing it. Mm-hmm. But I think the more open you are about these things, you'll find out more people are have things in common with you because they also share that stigma. So all you're really looking for is just someone to be open about it and say something about it and say that, hey, this is my interest. This is what I enjoy. This is what I like doing. You're like, oh, I like doing that too. Maybe mm-hmm. I can have a conversation with that person. And the, the more you say it, I think the, the, what you'll find is you'll find more people with your shared interests and, 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 and tastes. And going back to the community, that, that's kind of how you build it, is mm-hmm. just throw yourself out there, make yourself a little bit vulnerable, and you won't need to worry about not saying things that you feel won't be acceptable because you'll be amongst friends. But it, it, takes, it takes some effort, and it takes some courage, and it takes some bravery. Right. This medium has certainly helped with that, too, because like I said, when I started oh, abso- this, absolutely, I had no idea that all these people existed that did similar things that I do. And all of a sudden now, a couple weeks of putting out a podcast, it's like, oh, I found all these other people that like to talk about these same things as I do. It's it's that to me has been one of the most rewarding things. Absolutely crazy that people like stuff or as I guess as gamers, like we're not supposed to like stuff. We're supposed to only hate things. Right. Only like, <laughs> and, and if you hate the thing that I love, then, then fuck you. Right. That's the attitude we're technically supposed to have, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't help when you, when you watch like YouTube videos and the biggest ones are the ones where people are like, Oh, this game sucks. Dude. Hatred gets <laughs> clicks, man. I don't know what it is. It does. The, the, the toxicity and the gotcha reactions. It's, I've sometimes wondered, man, I've sometimes absolutely wondered why, what's, what's even the point of trying to be positive? I should just be negative and cash in and sell out, right? <laughs> That's the way yeah. to go. Uh, it's not easy to, this question's not always easy, Chris. Um, do you have a game or, or maybe a couple of games that you could say, like, really stick out in your memory that you can be like, hey, like, these are my favorite, or does it kind of change over time, or a couple that you just have some more specific memories attached to? Streets of Rage 2 is the greatest game ever made. And anyone who tells me differently is wrong. Absolutely. And, 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 and fuck you. That's where I get my abrasiveness, you know? Um, oh, you like The Last of Us? Pfft, nerd. <laughs> Streets of Rage 2. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Streets of Rage 2 is definitely at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles is probably my number two favorite game of all time. And I think that's that's one of those games for me that I played I think it was back in 2012 when it came out because mm-hmm. I remember pre-ordering it part of Operation Rainfall and uh, it, it, it reinvigorated my passion for gaming it's not like it was really low because I think it was just kind of going through the motions and I, I, f- I kind of feel like I'm there now honestly but um, I think we all have those like a game that reminds you why you love games and Xenoblade Chronicles is one of those games. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that's number two for me. Uh, Disgaea was one of those games that is even top, you know, like that doesn't mean chart because that game has problems. But it's great. I love it, <laughs> but it has problems. Um, another one is Chrono Trigger, um, mm. which took me a long time to really recognize how much I love that game. And uh, the Mass Effect trilogy, just because it was, again, it's, it's just like Xenoblade Chronicles 2 for me. It's a game that really... Uh, reinvigorated my love for gaming. Like, all three of them. Not not just Mass Effect, you know, any specific one, but right. all three of them as a total, just, like, this is why I play games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy is another one. So, like, I have a lot of games I look at, like, with high reverence. And as you can tell, they're all in kind of various different genres and tastes and everything like that. 
which I'm happy for. I'm happy I have that that palette I can go back to and be like, yeah, I love my favorite game of all time is a beat 'em up. Uh, my second favorite game is a JRPG, and then yes, it's Chrono Trigger is my next one, but it's a different kind of JRPG than that RPG, and then it's a Western RPG, and then it's Mario. Maybe it's not that diverse. I'm giving myself too much credit here. I'm, <laughs> I'm sucking my own uh, sucking my own ass, but um, I I I do I do think that's the case for a lot of people when it comes to like what's their top games. It's not so much the game that they technically think it's the best. Because if I go to like the Final Fantasy series, for example, my favorite Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy IV. You will not convince me that there is a better Final Fantasy than Final Fantasy IV. I love it. I do know it has flaws. I do know it's like simple and tropic to to a, like the T. But I love it, and it's it's my absolute favorite. But I recognize in my mind that Final Fantasy X is probably the best Final Fantasy. It's technically the best. Mm -hmm. Now, is Final Fantasy X high on my list? Of course it is, because I think Final Fantasy X is a fantastic game. But will it ever beat out Final Fantasy IV? No. So if people tell me, hey, you know Streets of Rage 4 is better than Streets of Rage 2, <laughs> I'm going to be like, well, technically you're right, but fuck you. <laughs> right? <laughs> You've made a terrible mistake, sir, by telling me this. Exactly. <laughs> like, you don't know what you're talking about, man. Right. Just, just go away. Go away. Well, can you do combos in Streets of Rage 2? I told you to go fuck yourself, man. Right. You, like, you stop. Don't push me. I'm, I'm giving you an out. Seriously. <laughs> um, but that's... That's... Um, that's That's one of those things. Now, in terms of emotionally connecting to me, um, one of them when I played recently, I wish I'd, I, I'd played it without knowing anything going into it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you ever heard it. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it. I don't know if you played it. Uh, Spec Ops The Line. I've, I've heard it mentioned quite a bit. I don't know anything about it, but I've heard it mentioned quite a bit. If you've never, if you don't know anything about it, you need to fucking play it. Okay. You need to fucking play it. It is, uh, it, it it's a Gears of War clone that doesn't play as well as Gears of War, but it's also a complete deconstruction of the military shooter. Interesting. It's a fantastic game. Um, another one that, again, that I've played recently is Nier. Nier is, uh, is a wild emotional trip. It just... If you have, if you have never played Nier, dear listener... And if you've listened to our podcast, it's our second most listened to podcast. And it's, it is with Adam of good, the, the Good, the Bad, and the Backlog. Mm -hmm. um, you will know that you need to play this game because it is an emotional experience above all others. It's not a very good playing game, I don't think, but it is a very emotional game. And another game that really turned gaming on its head for me in terms of emotionally and what it meant to me. Uh, was Shadow of the Colossus. Mm -hmm. And because that was the game, I had always been a person, I think, like when I was 10, I don't know why I thought this. I just, I don't know why it was pushed. It was probably because I was just getting on the internet and I was reading, you know, op-ed pieces from, from hipsters. But I always <laughs> thought that video games were art, right? And I was like, yeah, this is art. This is stories. This is, this is amazing. And... It wasn't until I Shadow of the Colossus where I think I really felt that where I really could 
not just say it, but mean it. And it's hard to describe why. And if you go back to like 2000, I think it came out 2005, just how different of an experience it was from your typical game back then. Because mostly back then you had games that, you know, they, they, they weren't handholdy back then, of course, but they still wanted to do a lot of exposition, throw a lot of, you know, um, heads up menus at you, give you a lot of items, all these things like that. Just, just overwhelm you with things. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and maybe this is, I should jump into Elden Ring because from what people say about Elden Ring, it, there's, there's something very similar to it. But Shadow of the Colossus is throw you into a world and they say, here's your sword and it tells you to find the next thing you're supposed to kill. Right. And you're just like, okay. And the way it tells its narrative and the way it tells its story with almost no exposition and no, just no written text or anything like that. It's all through how you interact with the media itself. Mm -hmm. And that is, is like that's the evolution of gaming as an art where it doesn't see itself too exclusively attached to movies which is like an attitude i think you get from like your kojimas and i think uh david pages like uh the um i think that's his name i'm not screwing that up but um uh or you, you don't get too much wrapped around the axle on just pure gameplay with like the marios because yeah they're good I mean, they're artistically fantastic, and they are art in and of themselves, but they're, they're meant to be toys. But where someone can take a format such as gaming and figure out what makes it special in terms of, is this something that can be accomplished in any other form of media? Can this be accomplished in a book? Can this be accomplished in a movie or a TV series? And if you've managed to meet that and it cannot be done in that fashion, then you have truly met what it means to find a new media format of art. And that is special. And that's mm. what I found with Shadow of the Colossus. And that's why I think that's, that's one of the most emotionally attached games to me. I wouldn't put it in my top anything, but um, in terms of gameplay, because it, it plays like shit. <laughs> but if you want to talk about if you want to talk about like well nowadays it does i don't want to shit on it like after just hyping it up to extreme amounts right but um i'd probably put it in my top 100 sure just because of the emotional connection and just the way it executes but um yeah fantastic game in terms of uh, emotional attachment that's interesting and now i'm just like trying to think of every game i ever played and determine if that meets that criteria and i'm kind of having like an existential crisis about it so thank thank you i appreciate that (laughs) you're welcome yeah (laughs) And you, you kind of mentioned my other question in there, too, when it comes to like the games that you played. And like I said, I'll be honest, and I feel bad about doing this. I, I pegged you for I assumed that you mostly stuck to, to retro games. But you just mentioned a bunch of games across the entire gamut of video games that you play across all eras. So um, I was going to ask you, like, yeah, did you do primarily stick to retro stuff? Or are you just playing? Yeah. Are you playing like the Elder Rings when they come out? Are you playing like the big stuff that comes out as well? I have to be honest, man. In the past like year or two, I haven't played anything new. Oh, okay. And I, I try to keep up with modern things, and modern things do appeal to me. Like, Triangle Strategy just came out. I'm like, oh, I got to get on that. But I I buy these games, and they just sit there. One, because my kids have now taken hostage over the <laughs> modern gaming sets. So they're, like, all playing the, the Xbox Series X now right. that I got for myself, and I, I've played maybe about a total of four hours on. And they're just <laughs> like, 
yeah, we got Game Pass. Isn't this awesome, Dad? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. So cool. Why don't you tell me yeah. about it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Switch, too. I mean, if I really rack my brain, I could probably tell you some games I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, I, I'm not sure I'll play. So am I really looking forward to them? I, I don't know. Like, the the last game I got and the and the same day I put it in a console and played it was Mega Man The Wily Wars. And that's not a new game. Uh, it's just that <laughs> It's a re-release, and I was looking forward to playing it. Right. And I that's really that's really sad, I guess. <laughs> um uh but yeah, I, I'm sure I could tell you there's games I'm looking forward to. A lot of them, like I'm I'm kickstarting a lot of games that are on there. Oh, okay. Uh, the, a lot of games are on Kickstarter, and those are the games I'm looking to towards playing. But as you can imagine, a lot of these games that I'm backing are Metroidvanias or in retro styles. Right. So Am I playing the Elden Rings? No. Do I? Should I probably drop in and play the Elden Rings? Now that I just like went on a rant about how amazing Shadow of the Colossus <laughs> is, eh, probably because again, it might evoke those same feelings. So, um, yeah, I need to get more into modern gaming and seeing what's up outside of my little retro niche. But I, I still don't think there's anything wrong. If you love your, if you know what you love, stick with what you love. Um, and if it doesn't work out, if you go veer into the modern again, like I used to play back, you know, six, seven years ago, then, mm. then do that. But, um, it's scary now because <laughs> I have too many games. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh! first world problem then, right? I know, right? <laughs> I have so many games. What do I play? No, I've played and that's, that's very admirable. I've felt, and I'm still kind of learning this through the process of being in this podcast community is that. The conversation is constantly around what's happening now, what's coming up. And so when a big Elden Ring thing comes out, there's a lot of pressure to be like play and be like, hey, everyone's playing this. You want to be part of the conversation. And I have found a an intense amount of anxiety this year for no reason where it's like, hey, I need to be playing these new things and keeping up with everybody else and keeping up with the conversation. And finally, the last few, few weeks, as I was playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, an older game, I was like, hey, like I need to just dial it back i don't have to play everything that everyone else is playing the moment it comes out like i can play the things i want to and enjoy it and still be part of the conversation so mm-hmm. uh i don't I, like i said i probably should play the elden ring thing but i don't know if i ever will because i don't know i don't know if i need that stress in my life right now <laughs> i just don't, <laughs> i really don't know if i don't um so i wanted to ask you real quick it's my last question on the outline before we do the outro sure. uh would you consider yourself like an avid collector then of of the video game things? Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. Not anymore. Uh fuck COVID. Right? <laughs> that was well that was going to be my question so I was going to ask like the past couple years like literally the collecting of like anything with value has kind of just been insane. So yeah. I was going to kind of ask like what what was your experience with with that? So, so a couple things have happened in the past couple of years. I'm just trying to hold on. My family keeps opening and closing doors. Um, <laughs> the main door, which is like right next to the office. Right. Okay. Hopefully it's closed. No. Now it's closed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a couple things have kind of moved me off the big time collector. Uh, first of all, it's, it's pricey. I mean, if I can still find a game I really want to get and it's under $30, I'll do what I can to get that game. 
or if I just happen to have the money, like I just got Legend of Lagaya not too long ago for like for fifty bucks, and I thought it was way more expensive. And actually, on the on the free market, it is way more expensive. Okay. Than fifty dollars, so I'm happy I got that. And then Tactics Ogre was available. I'm like, I'm never probably going to be able to get this opportunity to get it again. So if there's a game that I can be like, okay, I I want to check this out, um, or I'm I'm extremely nostalgic for. And I want to to add it to my collection. Will I do it? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But everything has just gotten like that. This, this copy of Tactics Ogre, like I'm about to pay, you know, in total, like um, because I got a pretty big discount on it because of the store value and everything, like 120, 130 dollars on. I could have gotten when I started collecting for fifty dollars, and I was just like, I don't want to spend fifty dollars on a game because. When I started collecting, quote, collecting, unquote, or just looking for games to add to my collection, um, and I didn't even call it a collection, it's games I wanted to play. It was, um, the reason I got into it is because it was cheap. Mm-hmm. It's because I could go to, I could go to my retro game store that was pretty far down the road or a couple of retro game stores or a flea market, and I, I could get, no matter where I went, I could get that copy of Earthworm Jim for $3. Right. You know, I, I could get that, I could get it, a bunch of Nintendo games for $10 or less. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that was a time where you walked into a retro store and this guy would be like, well, here's the expensive games. And the expensive games are 20 to $30. And he's like, and here's all the crappy ones. And it's like $5 and below. And I was like, they're not crappy, man. They're just, you don't like them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then he told me how the Xbox One is spying on us. And it's like, okay. <laughs> If you unplug the connect, it won't spy on you. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right before it came out, and there was all that right. weird weirdness to it. Trust but, me, sir. Um, Microsoft doesn't need to spy on you. The government already they, knows everything they, about you, so it's fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. They got your browser history. They are very concerned. Um, but it, it like as time went on, like did I try to get some of the the bigger collections? Yeah. I mean, I I didn't stop. I. There, there's always been that drive to to still relive that nostalgia of my childhood to a point, but there's also been that desire to expand upon what I had, the, the find out the things I didn't know. And I can understand this very frustrating for a lot of collectors, and it's frustrating to me too. Um, and I'll get that. I'll kind of get touch on that because when I got when I when I think about collecting, I think one of the reasons I I got into collecting is because when I joined the Navy. Prior to joining, I still had a, a, a pretty big video game collection mm-hmm. I uh, for like Nintendo and GameCube and like all the systems I had growing up since 1989 to 2003. And like we were we were a very financially well off family. So I got pretty much anything I asked for over the years. And my dad decided to give me a credit card on top of that when my parents divorced. So I was just like, OK, fuck it. I'm buying whatever I want to anyway. Um Sorry, dad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I had this like massive game collection and like I was one of the few people that got into buying those late games for the Sega Saturn and I was getting those niche RPG games for the PlayStation and the Super Nintendo and everything like that. And then just at the snap of the finger after I left for the military, it was yeah, we got rid of all of them because we thought you would grow out of them. You don't want them anymore. Oh, man. But that's happened to a lot of people. And that's, right. that's come. I've come to realize that, that my story isn't anything tragic or unique or special. 
Um, it's just happened to a lot of people who left and their parents were like, well, okay, I mean, he, they're gone now. This, we bought them half this shit, if not most, like 90% of this shit, so we can sell this shit. Right. Well, you make a good point. Um, but then it's like, okay, let me, let me get all the stuff I had back then. But then a lot of the stuff I found that I wanted was too expensive to get. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'll settle for the cheaper things that I didn't know I wanted. So like when I... St- the the initial hit that got me back into this was I got a Sega Saturn back in 2012. We had just got done paying off our, our Ford Focus, got done with the car bill on that. And I was like, okay, that was like $250, $300 a month for that thing. Um, I can start playing a little bit of this money I used to be spending on a car, and I can put it towards old video games. And I, mm-hmm. like I said, I was watching Classic Game Room, who I found on YouTube. And for some reason, I was like, you know what? I really miss the Sega Saturn, man. Like, there are some really good game experiences on there that are really underrated. So I got myself a Sega Saturn, and it came with Mortal Kombat, and it came with Knights. And uh, then I was like, okay, what what else can I get here? So can I get can I get uh, my Panzer Dragoon Saga? Holy shit! No, I can't. Okay. <laughs> um, can I uh, can I get Albert Odyssey? Nope. Can I get Magic Knight Ray Earth? No. Uh, can I get Shining Force 3? I'll get Shining Force 3, but I have to get it without the box. Because if I get it in the box, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fucked. Right. Um <laughs> And so like so I'd find these deals on games and I make some compromises and like, okay, I have a little bit of wiggle room, but I like always kind of set a limit. And then I was like, okay, the Saturn, the Saturn's the Saturn's kind of difficult because a lot of the games I want are expensive. Let me try and find something I I I've never I've I've seen and I've never tried before. So the next system I got out of all the systems that I could possibly look at was the Sega Master System. Okay. <laughs> the fucking Sega Master System. <laughs> and the the reason I got a Sega Master System is one is like you ask people about the Sega Master System. I think my entire life prior to that point, all I could do was say I saw it once at <laughs> my great aunt's house. And I'm curious, what the fuck is this? Because in 2013, no one knew in, in the United States what the Sega Master System was. Absolutely nobody. They had, they had, you would, I went to a, a video game store after I bought it. So like, first of all, I bought it, I, I like for $60, I got 10 games, the 3D glasses, uh, the zapper, the system, nice. all the connections. <laughs> this was 60 bucks, man. 60 bucks. Good luck being 60 bucks for that shit now. You'll have to take out a mortgage to get, get shit today, man. Right. Because people have gone fucking crazy. But that's the thing. Like, I went, and this is the thing back then, too. You go into the game store and, like, I want to say a Master System. Where's your Master System games? And, like, oh, they're over there. I'm like, dude, that's the Sega Genesis. And they're like, well, you said Sega. I'm like, yeah, no shit. I'm looking for the first system <laughs> Sega put out. Not the Genesis. They're like, they came out with a system before the Genesis. I'm like, yo, motherfucker, you run a retro game right, store. You should know this at least. This is basically <laughs> like, knowledge. this is your job. <laughs> this is like, how long has this place been open? Oh, like 10 years. Then you suck. Right. Um, <laughs> like what? But um, more bringing it towards today. And this is like, I think we're kind of this, the, the frustration where like people like me said, I'm like the Sega uh, master system. I know I'm, I'm rambling again. I'm sorry, but if you enjoy it, Hey, hi everybody. Um, <laughs> like people who are trying to relive that nostalgia, like me are finding it hard to play the games that they had 
when they were growing up because people like me are like, well, I also want to experience games I never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I get it. Um, that's, it's a shit thing. I think that's what's, what's what kind of pissed me off about the Sega Saturn is that people like would give you weird looks when you were growing up and you said I was playing a Sega Saturn game and here you are 20, like 20 years later and people are like, Oh, did, did you know how awesome the Sega Saturn was? Like, no one told me how awesome the Sega Saturn was. Like, who knew it was great? I'm like, gee, I I never know. You were the same yeah, person that was wow. telling, giving me funny looks 20 <laughs> years ago. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, shocker. While you're playing fucking Glover, I was playing <laughs> X-Men versus Street Fighter, telling you how awesome it was. And you're like, no, dude. Like, the graphics on the N64 are so much better. Shout out and now you're to like, Glover, the most iconic. Yeah, no hate to Glover. <laughs> No hate to Glover, by the way. But um, it's like, I was playing arcade perfect fighting games on my Saturn, and you were calling me a loser. Okay, now you're like, did you hear about this 4 megabyte RAM cart? I'm like, yes. Right. Yes, I did. Yeah, I know all about that. Do you want me to tell you about it? Can I buy these games for cheap now? Because I lived through them, I played them, and they're part of my childhood. Yeah, sure, $500. Fuck you. Yeah, right. Um... But that's that's why I backed out. I think another reason I backed out really backed out recently is um, they're they've the technology in terms of optical disc emulators have come a long way. So like my Saturn and my Dreamcast, I have this thing called a mode uh, from Terra Onion. And I know like a lot of people are probably pissed off at Terra Onion for, I think, legitimate reasons, because when you say that someone fleeing from the from the Ukraine is like uh, you're mocking them, uh, that's probably not a good look right now. Probably mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing that. The company didn't. One of the people in charge of the company. But it doesn't matter. It's not a good look. So I understand if you're mad at them, it's justified. But I had this thing called a mode. Um, and it plops into your Dreamcast or it plops into your Saturn. You can swap it between the two. And um, there's no reason to buy games anymore. I, and I'm using original hardware. Right. So when I boot it up. Uh, Skies of Arcadia and it didn't work and that's that's another thing that's this I think the second thing I've been rambling so long I don't remember <laughs> what the fuck I'm saying anymore but um some of these old games I didn't take care of when I was collecting and my kids didn't take care of while I was gone overseas because they were here I didn't take them with me mm-hmm. so a lot of them suffered a little bit of damage especially label damage on CDs they will kill your game like destroy your game you're never going to get that back mm-hmm. but I can take that game that I loved I don't have to put down $170 or $200 just to play this game. I can go online, put it into an SD card, slap it in my mode, and I'm, ha- I'm original hardware in my CRT, and it's the exact same experience. Mm-hmm. I don't need a bunch of pieces of plastic to be like, I'm feeling it. Nah, it's not there anymore. Um, so I don't need it for the Saturn. And I can get fan translations of Japanese games that uh, weren't available, and there's a lot of those on the Saturn now. Mm-hmm. So... When you combine all that, when you combine the insane prices, when you combine um, the fact that retro gaming just isn't social anymore, when you look at like the collector's market just becoming more and more snobby and being like, oh, if the box isn't pristine, is it really worth it? Or why, why is this loose? This is for commoners. It's just like, look, it's a game. You're supposed to be playing it. You're supposed to be enjoying it. Understand the box makes it a little bit more special. Um. Oh, look at me! I, just... I I I spent uh two point nine million dollars on a grade ten sealed copy of Mario sixty four. Like, 
Exactly. It's great. You can never use it for anything, but enjoy your purchase. <laughs> yeah. And that's not to say, like, I won't spend a lot of money on some of these older games, especially if I if I think it's worth it, mm-hmm. or I think the game is just going to become way unreasonable later, like Devil's Third for the Wii U, which I overspent because I spent like $140 for it. And you're like, why would you spend $140 for fucking Devil's Third? I'm like, yeah, you're right. I was stupid. But <laughs> now it's... Now it's almost six hundred dollars. That's return on investment, baby. Fucking, but I, I, I'm not <laughs> going to sell it, so it's like doesn't mean anything. Um, and that's that's I know I've talked probably way too long on on the collector thing here, but it's just if you're thinking about getting into collecting, as someone who who really got into it, first of all, look at your bank account. <laughs> Ask yourself. <laughs> Um, first of all, are you comfortable with, with your current, current living accommodations? Um, are, is the person you're with willing to put up with your bullshit? Because there will be a lot of bullshit. My wife's a saint because of all the bullshit I put it through right now. Uh, Eric is looking behind me and he's seeing like this wall of just collector's editions above me. And that doesn't include like the entire wall of just boxes of games that I have to my right here. And it's just like, my wife looks at some of this shit. She shakes her head and she walks away. So you have to be able to at least have that. You have to be able to at least have a partner that will respect that. Um, I, I and, understand because I have a wall of terrifying Funko Pops behind me. So believe me, I understand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing is, if you're thinking about getting into collecting, like, do not let it become an obsession to the point where you're not able to pay for the things you need. And and with the market the way it is going, that is something that is entirely possible because the Holy Grail is just that much more mm-hmm. than that other game you didn't buy. Mm-hmm. And it just starts to escalate. And especially if you get into collector communities, there's always going to be someone with deeper pockets than you. There's always going to be someone who tells you, who shows you the game that you wanted to get. And you're like, I need to get something to show them I'm still collecting. You don't. Right. You just don't enjoy games. And that's the other thing, too. If you're a collector, if you don't enjoy games, if you don't enjoy playing games, don't collect this. This isn't an investment treasure trove because a lot of them are going to stop working at some point. Mm -hmm. And if you look what happened at the Atari, you look what started happening with the Nintendo and even the Saturn prior to the pandemic. The interest isn't always going to be there. This isn't your retirement fund. It just isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. You have to enjoy playing these things. And if you don't enjoy playing these things, if you like, if you say, look, this game is so bad and people are like, well, are you going to enjoy playing it? No, then don't fucking <laughs> buy it. Don't do it unless there's some sort of sentimental value to it. Just don't. I think I'm going to stop there because I, I've kind of lost track of what I wanted to say to begin with. But there's my entire long rant <laughs> on collecting and why you shouldn't do it right now wait for a market crash please be a market crash because i would clean up baby right but uh if if the market crashed i'd be right back in the collector's market don't don't you doubt that absolutely but um right now don't just just stay away get game pass get these ever drives get these optical disc emulators play them on original hardware find it if you want to spend money on stupid shit go get a crt Go get a CRT, get one of these old consoles that you want to play on, and get an SD card, get an EverDrive, and play it that way. 
It's the same experience. It will save you a lot more money and you won't regret it. There, there's my summary. So basically, if you're listening, Chris's very wise financial advice to you is to not pull all of the money out of your 401k and buy sealed copies of Mario 64. Yes. Not a good investment. Uh, I... I haven't been an avid collector, really. I've lost a lot of my things through several moves to college and all over the place. But um, one of the surprise things I found was when me, my wife and I are moving into our current house and I unpacked her stuff and she didn't tell me about this that she had. And for whatever reason, the pandemic escalated a lot of things, including GameCube games. And she had an original GameCube with a ton of GameCube games. And I'm just like, I struck a rich baby. Like I'll just retire. I'll drop out. Of school. I'll drop out of work right now and just retire. I can just sell these GameCube games online. And I'll be good to go. So, <laughs> but like you said, don't pull your life savings out to uh, to buy quote unquote stupid shit <laughs> when it's easier to games, play the other ways. <laughs> games are stupid shit because ninety percent of the time, whatever you want to get, you can get for a lot cheaper. I promise you. I promise you. You hear to hear first, folks. Games are stupid shit. I'll drink to that 100%. <laughs> they're, they're my hobby. I love them, but they are stupid. Absolutely. <laughs> this up here uh chris thanks for so much for coming on man i i knew when i started this i definitely wanted to have you on like i said i've listened to you and shane since i've started doing my own show and learned so much from listening to the show uh about video games and all sorts of things that i had no idea about so uh thank you very much for that so uh, i want to give you this opportunity here at the end of the show to just uh shill any of your stuff you want to uh socials patreon snake oil whatever you want to come on here and shill go for it I have plenty of snake oil for you all. <laughs> you can find that at our merch store. Um, uh, if you're still here, thank you. It's not Eric's fault because Eric has fantastic episodes. Once again, thank you for having me on. So if you're still here, if, if they're not listening anymore, Eric, it's my fault. I'll take full blame. <laughs> but um, you can find me personally uh, and see my bane of my existence, my collection on Instagram. If you go there, I am at Zodiac, X-O-D-Y-A-K. And uh, that's where I'm at on Instagram. I'm also on the Twitter at at Chris Copeline. That's C-O-P-L-I-E-N. Chris is common spelling. Uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone follow me on Twitter because I just like a, ra- a bunch of random things and say snarky <laughs> shit. So I guess that gets you somewhere on Twitter, but I, I don't recommend it. In terms of the show, the show is Retro Hangover on pretty much any social media platform you can look for. But you can we made it really easy for you. We have a link tree. So if you if you go to linktree slash retro hangover, which is linktr.ee slash retro hangover, you can find all our links there. I'll have a link to our Instagram, Twitter, 
uh, Discord, which is available to everybody to join in and talk, as well as our Twitch channel. So whatever you want to do, however you want to interact with us, there are a bunch of options there, and we look forward to seeing you there. I would definitely recommend following all those things. I'll link all the stuff in the description of the show notes too, so you don't have to try and find all that stuff phonetically. But uh, and if I'm listening, if I'm offering any advice to anybody listening, retro hangover for the first time, just get past the dick dragon, and then you're you're it's it's smooth sailing from there. Well, depending on what your definition of smooth sailing is, but uh, it, it's get past the thing that identifies the show. <laughs> Absolutely, and I wouldn't list, I wouldn't put it on your sleep rotation listening to it for the first time because that'll probably be a very rude awakening. Uh, unless you can yeah, sleep, don't do that. Unless you can sleep through high decibel noises, then maybe that's your jam. I don't know, but I would not recommend it. So uh, some of us were raised in the seventh layer of hell, so they may enjoy that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Chris, thanks again, and uh, thank to, you to everybody that tuned in and listened. Thank you so much. Uh, it means a lot that you keep tuning in and listening. I'm going to keep doing this and. Chris, I hope you come back on again. I'll want to have you on. I'm working on some other stuff that I want to have a bunch of awesome people on. So, and anytime uh, you feel like you want to talk about something, uh, if you have you have open form to come here. So, if you want to just message me, Eric, come on, I'm gonna ramble about something, we'll do it. So, and I, I you know, I can ramble. <laughs> Listen, I live for it. The more you ramble, the less I have to talk. So, the less I make myself look <laughs> stupid. So, it's perfect. It, this is exactly why I changed the format of the show. So, I have to talk less. It's perfect. Good. <laughs> so. Um, again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as always, make sure you uh, do the proper things, take care of yourselves, and uh, have a good day.